All right, turn with me over there to Luke chapter 12, um, verses 20 through 37. This is not um, one of the Olivet Discourses. We'll get to that later um, in our study through uh, Luke. Of course, there's one in Matthew that we're going to reference um, briefly. Um, but this is, a, this is a, a teaching that comes up around uh, the last days based upon something that the Pharisees ask. In the Olivet Discourse, the questioners are the disciples. But here, the ones that initiate the conversation are the Pharisees. And so I've called this a day of judgment at Christ's revelation. So as we move into this section, there's not a whole lot that really seems to connect it with the previous. So it's a new section. It begins with a question from the Pharisees concerning the kingdom of God. Jesus gives them a, a response. And then Jesus addresses his attention, the rest, most of what he has to say in the remainder of this chapter, beginning at verse 22. He then speaks to his disciples. So 20 and 21 is an interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees. And we kind of know what that relationship is like right now, right? It's pretty, it's pretty hostile. And then Jesus is going to speak to his disciples coming out of that question and answer time. And he's going to give them more information. And Jesus is going to speak to his disciples about his second coming. He's going to speak to them about the associated judgment that will be a part of that. And we're going to be reminded to be looking for his coming and not to be deceived by false Christs. So we begin at verses 20 and 22, uh, 20 through 22, um, where Pharisees inquire about the kingdom of God. It says, now when he had asked... When he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, See here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. So we'll just actually, verse 21, we'll just take it to verse 21. I said 22, but I just wanted to take it to 21. These are some difficult verses right off the bat. Because Jesus' response is not kind of what we would expect in one, one sense. He says you can't know about the kingdom of God by observation. And you're not going to be able. And then he says to these guys who are you know, very antagonistic. He says the kingdom of God is within you. So we got to kind of work through these challenges. Um, so don't want to be too dogmatic about it. But I do think that we can come to a pretty reasonable understanding of what is taking place. I will tell you this, though, that uh, when it comes to whether or not this was a sincere question or whether this was an insincere question by the Pharisees, it's, I mean, there's no way to know from what we have in these verses alone. Um, so you either are saying, hey, the, you know, some, uh, a common statement would be, hey, these were stewards of the nation, and as stewards of the nation, they had a right to inquire of him because he had been saying, John had, the Baptist had been saying, and his disciples had been saying that the kingdom of God is at hand. So the question seems legitimate to say, where is the kingdom? And of course, I agree with that, except for the fact that these are knuckleheads. And all they have done is antagonize Jesus and look to catch him in um, one mistake after another. He makes no mistakes, but their perceived perception of what a mistake is. And so they're challenging him the entire time. I mean, you, you have a great interaction with Nicodemus. 
um, and then you pretty much run out of space. You know, I mean, I'm saying that all, the Pharisees were antagonizing him. So, while it may be true that it is a sincere question, I'm going to go, and I'm just kind of giving the heads up, I'm going with the fact that these guys are asking the questions the way they've been asking them and interacting with Jesus throughout the book so far of, of Luke, that they're, they're antagonistic. So I don't see it as a sincere question. It could be a sincere question under the, you know, coming from the right heart. But for these, I just think it is another adversary. I would put it like this. Um, oh, so you're talking about all the kingdom. Where is that kingdom, by the way? Where is it? And I think that is the spirit. I think that is the tone, although you can't read tone in Scripture. Um, but knowing them contextually through our march through the, the book of Luke, I think that is my take on this. Jesus' response is that the kingdom of God doesn't come by observations. Um, so you will not be able to identify the kingdom um, through looking for the signs. And, and <laughs> these guys had the Son of God right in front of their face. And they're asking, so when is the kingdom coming? And they have been dogging him and ridiculing him and trying to disrupt ministry the whole time. So I think it's, you know, where's the kingdom? He says, well, you're not going to see it by observation. And as he goes on to say, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Now that word there is a preposition and it can either mean within, among, or in the midst of. So within. So if we take it to mean within you, these guys didn't have the kingdom of God within them. They rejected Jesus. But Jesus might be speaking more in a universal sense of saying, listen, you want to see the kingdom, look for it inside your heart. Look to, to receive me. I am the king of the kingdom. And what you're looking for and what you're trying to observe, you're never going to see this kingdom coming. Because you can't even see the king, let alone the signs of, of the kingdom. So they wanted a militant messiah. And to be fair, the prophets talked about a militant Messiah, didn't, didn't he? Uh, they. Um, we think about uh, the prophet Zechariah and talks about how um, Jesus would come riding in on a donkey. Well, the, in the very same verse, it says, and he's going gonna to destroy all your enemies. So the fact that they would look for one to destroy their enemies is reasonable because the prophets spoke of this. But what the prophets did not anticipate is that when the kingdom was offered, that Israel would reject the kingdom and the king. And therefore, the coming would be in two parts, a first and a second coming. I challenge you to try and find a clear delineation among the Old Testament prophets that it would be a two-part coming. You're not going to see it. So, um, I mean, even... Um, oh, uh, Anna in the in, in the in the temple, and um, I'm even having a hard time remembering the guy's name. Who's the other guy that was waiting at the the temple? Simeon. Simeon. You know, they, they were waiting, and they anticipated. John the Baptist anticipated. All the disciples anticipated an establishing of the kingdom, and Jesus was preaching the kingdom of God is at hand. But you see, they rejected it. Let me read to you. 
And this is from John Phillips in his commentary. He says, God's plan for a visible millennial kingdom was dependent on the Jews accepting the spiritual truths of the kingdom as preached by John and Jesus. The mystery parables of Matthew 13 reveal that a plan to establish an earthly kingdom was postponed because of the Jews' attitude towards the king. So this is a challenge. We've talked about this before, but when they went around preaching the gospel and said, don't go to the Gentiles, only go to the lost house of Israel, Jesus had not died. Jesus had not risen from the dead. So therefore, they weren't preaching the gospel that we preach today. They were still preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. And this is what all of the Jews were in anticipation of. Was it a legitimate offering even though God knew that they would reject? And I would say yes. I believe it was a legitimate offering. Just like it's a legitimate offering as we preach the gospel today to people that are going to reject it. It's still a legitimate offering, but God knows man's heart and what a man or woman is going to do with the good news. So I do believe that this is a legitimate offering of the kingdom, but they reject it. And so now we are looking at a two-part coming, a first and a second part coming. So some of you can chew on that. Your mind's tracking with it. Just gnaw on that, work on that. It's, it's, it's you know, you got to think on that, this one. If you've never heard this before, um, just you, you are now introduced to a new subject, but I think a lot of times in the, when we go through the Gospels, prior to the cross, when we hear of them preaching the good news, we say they were preaching the gospel of his death, burial, and resurrection. You got, you got, a, you got a chronological problem there because he hadn't died and he hadn't risen from the dead. So it can't be the same. And the gospel we preach, we are commanded to take among the nations. The gospel they preached was only to the lost house of Israel. All right, there you go. You can, you can work on that. So when he says uh, that, that the kingdom of God is, is within you, maybe it's this universal sense of accepting him, or maybe a better translation of that preposition is that it's in the midst of. I mean, I'm right here. <laughs> I'm right here in front of you or among uh, and they, they're just not realizing the ministry of Jesus that is taking place. So he responds to them this way. And, and I will say this. Nobody can ever see the kingdom if they don't see the king. And, and, and listen, we are told under the new covenant as the church of Jesus Christ, we are told to watch. We are told to look. We're told the judge is at the door. We're told to hasten his coming. All of these Imminent ideas of the soon return of the Lord. And to the church, he says, and you will not be taken by surprise. You, this day is not going to overtake you, the day of judgment. Why? Because your eyes are on the king. Your, your eyes are on the king. And so if your eyes are on the king, the kingdom is never going to pass you by. So when we talk about this idea of the timing of the kingdom, because I think it can be asked in a legitimate way. Um, I think it's a fair inquiry. When is the, the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of God that rules in our heart, in our life today, um, not the kingdom of God as represented in the, the life of the church, but Jesus' earthly kingdom established, when is that going to come? Now, I guess it depends on, 
on your perspective, your theological perspective. And this is one of the things I was teaching about down at the conference. There are those that say that the kingdom of God is right now. That the millennial earthly reign of Christ upon the earth is happening right now and that Satan is bound right now. That's called post-millennialism. I, I can see some of your faces. You're like, Satan is bound right now? And I, as my pastor used to say, if Satan is bound right now, he's on a really, really long chain. Um, but this is a post-millennial thought. And the idea is that Jesus is ruling and reigning right now, and that Satan is bound, how could that be, you would ask? Their response would be, well, the gospel is going out into the world. But I would, I would counter and say, what about demon possession? What about demon oppression? What, what about all the things that are going on? What about the darkness that covers so many people's eyes? Um, uh, you know, even Jesus said that the gates of hell would not prevail. I mean, this idea that, that you know, Hades is attacking the church of Jesus Christ, but she's not going to prevail. But I, she is, Hades is prevailing over, over this world. He is the God of this age. So I, I don't see that as legitimate. But post-millennial says we're, we're in the millennial kingdom now, and that this present hour, this present age which we're living is going to get better and better and better and better and better until, boom, Christ comes. And he's going to come back to an earth that is pretty much Christianized, for lack of better words. And so they're looking forward to things getting progressively better. Got some scripture to deal with, and I'm not going to, I mean we read that there's going to be a great apostasy in the last days. So I don't know how they worked that one in there. The other one is millennialism. So millennial means a thousand, awe means there is none. So if you put an A in front of something, um, you know, it, may, it cancels out. So there is no real kingdom. It's just this general idea that the Lord is in control and over everything. And then the third view, which is my view, that I hold to passionately is a premillennial view. That is, we believe that there will be a thousand year reign of Christ upon this earth. And when these Pharisees asked, and when the disciples asked the same question at different times, but you know, the beginning of the book of Acts, they have a thought of a, a ruling king. The government is upon his shoulders, right? And he's ruling from sea to sea. The nations are all under his control. And, um, and it's a, uh, it's a, he's ruling with a rod of iron. And everybody is in step. And if not, they deal with, with King Jesus. And so this is a thousand-year reign, a physical reign of Christ upon the earth. It's, it's, what, um, it's, it's what the angel, when they announced to Mary that you're going to have you know, a son... And, and says, you know, he's going to be a ruler. Now, what concept would be in her mind of ruling? An all-millennial concept? I guarantee you it wasn't that. And a post-millennial? It wasn't that. The idea was that he was going to set up a physical kingdom upon the earth. And that is something that is going to take place at Christ's second coming. And this is what he's going to go on to talk about. I want to just give you in the midst of a study on, you know, about end times, I want to give you a, uh, and this would be according to the eschatology of a, an eschatology means the study of last things, uh, a pre-mill, thousand-year reign of Christ, and a pre-trib, meaning 
pre-tribulation rapture, meaning that the church will not go through the tribulation, will be gone first. That is the perspective I'm coming at this with. So if you are trying to calibrate me, there I am. So what is going to happen? Well, we currently live in what the Bible calls the last days. We live in the last days, and it is also known as the church age. The rapture of the church, when the church is called up to be with Jesus in the air, is going to happen prior to the beginning of the 70th week, or the, the last week, last seven years of Israel's prophetic history. So you have the rapture, then you have the great tribulation, the Antichrist will manifest himself, Jesus will return to rescue Israel, um, the battle of Armageddon is in, the, in this scene. He's going to put his foot on the Mount of Olives. It's going to split in two. And he's going to come and he will rule and reign for a thousand years upon the earth. At the end of that thousand years, we will go into what is often referred to as the eternal state, the new heaven, the new earth. And that's, that's a real brief summary. So when we talk about the kingdom of God and his rule upon the earth, um, that is something that's going to happen, I would say, after the church age, when God is done with the church. And when the church is gone, then God will resume his work in the nation of Israel to revive them, to wake them up. And at the end of those seven years, they will finally have a spirit of supplication poured out upon them, fulfilling what Jesus anticipated when he said, you will see me no more until you say... Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And at the end of the tribulation, they will, they, will, they will cry out for the Lord. They will understand who their Messiah is. And all of remaining Israel will be a confessing Israel in Jesus as their Messiah. And he will rescue them. So that's kind of an overview of, of, the, of, the, of the end time scenario. But we're, we're dealing with just mainly right now that one part of the kingdom, his rule upon the earth. And this is what they are asking about. Now in verse 22 through 25, Jesus warns the disciples about the Antichrist that will come. So he now is going to speak more directly to his disciples. So let's read those verses together. You know what? Before I do that, there was, I want to, I want to, I want to pause here. I want to talk about, there's a few things that I, I decided just at the last moment to drop into uh, this Bible study. Because um, there has been so much that has happened over the last couple of years that a lot of people's mind have been upon the end times, have been upon the last days. And a lot of questions is, is everything we're seeing an indication that the Lord is about to return? I love that question. I think the, it's a question we should be pondering. We should be looking and anticipating the return of the Lord. Um, but let me read to you from Matthew 24, verses 3 through 8. And we'll study this more in a more in-depth way um, in the coming weeks when we get to, I think it's chapter 21 of Luke. But I thought we'd just give a little sample right now because of this, this question that I think is on so many people's mind is all of the things we're seeing with COVID and, you know, the vaccine and all of this stuff, the masks and the government and Trump and Biden, is all this evidence that, you know, Jesus is about to return. I'm going to say no. It's not evidence. I don't mean that the Lord can't come tonight, though. Um, but I don't think it's evidence. 
And I know that some of you are like, mm, I don't agree. Okay, well, do you got a verse for it? So I want to give you some verses. If you aren't in Matthew 24 and you disagree, you need to turn to Matthew 24. Okay, Matthew 24, verse 3. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. So he said, there's be false Christ, and that's going to happen before I come back. So don't be deceived when they come in and they say, I'm the Antichrist. Verse 6, and you will hear of wars. Okay, so don't be deceived by them. But this is, you're going to hear of wars. You're going to hear rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. For all of these things must come to pass, but the end is not Yet, for, the na for nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famine, and pestilences, or pandemics, and earthquakes in various places. All of these are the beginning of sorrows. Jesus told us what it would be like from the day he was speaking with his disciples up until the time of his return. He gave us a description of the of the age in which we live in right now. And what did he say that age would be like? He said that that age would be full of wars and rumors of wars. There would be nations rising against a nation. There would be famines. There would be pestilences and earthquakes. But what he says is, but the end, verse 6, but the end is not yet. So these things are going to be happening. And, and you know what? Before you dismiss and say, I disagree, if these are all signs of the Lord's soon return right now, I want do a little bit of work and see if there has not been famines and pestilences and earthquakes and wars and rumors of wars down through the ages. So actually, I, don't, I wouldn't say what's happening right now that it's prophetically insignificant. I would say it prophetically fulfills what Jesus said would be, it would be like between the days in which he was talking with his disciples and they came back and he would come. It's in this time frame that you're going to have these things going on. I know, I know. Some of you are just like, I, you, you have heard it talked about in one way and you cannot even begin to wrap your mind around this. But here's the thing. What thing needs to be fulfilled for the, for the rapture of the church? Not the second coming not the millennium, what needs to be fulfilled in order for Jesus to return for the rapture of the church? Nothing. So how can we say there's nothing needs to happen, it can happen right now, and then we say, look at all these things that are happening, these are signs that he's coming. Do you see the dilemma? And so I think we, we're dealing with two different subjects here. We begin to talk about signs for the second coming, and, and, and we apply them to the rapture of the church. And so to be consistent, wars and rumors of wars, famines, pestilence, and earthquakes describe what it would be like between the time in which Jesus left and the time Jesus comes back. And it will intensify during the Great Tribulation. These things are going to just be ramped up. And the worst earthquakes ever and the pestilences and the famines and the wars that will be going on. They'll be worse than ever. But Jesus says the end is not yet. So if you don't agree with me, you got to deal with that 
that phrase right there. What does he mean, the end is not yet? It's not tricky language, but you got to work out the context. So I encourage you to take a look at these things. So, down through the history of the church, these are the kinds of things that have been said that are signs that Jesus is about to, to rapture the church or to come back. Uh, the Reformation, that was a sign. They all believe the, the Reformation. Great things happened in the Reformation. They said, this is a sign of the kingdom. The establishing of America. A lot of people said, this is a sign. This is the kingdom. The fall of Rome. The rise of Hitler. <laughs> Ten nations part of the EU. Oh, no, we're at 11, 12, 13. Now, now what do we do with that? The fall of the Berlin Wall. The Gulf War. Y2K. Does anybody remember Y2K? And, um, you know, it's like, this is it. This is the end. This is it. You know, just like, yeah, I'm not going to, I don't have time to go on. Katrina, 9-11, blood moons. That's the one that's around. And now some are saying that the COVID-19 vaccine is related to the mark of the beast. Um, where's the beast? If you got... If you're going to have a mark of the beast, don't you kind of need to have the beast? The Antichrist is not on the scene. He's not on the scene. And he's not going to be on the scene until midway through the Great Tribulation. So it's a lead. I mean, he, you know, so it can't be that. And you may have all kinds of ideas about the vaccines, good or bad. Have them. Just don't make it out to be a sign of the return of the Lord. And let me tell you why. And this is why I'm driving this point home. Because when we begin to say, oh, it's, you know, the blood moons. Oh, no, it's Y2K. Oh, no, it's Katrina. Oh, no, it's 9-11. Oh, no, it's, it's, you know, whatever it is. You know, the rise of Hitler, the fall of Rome, the establishing of America, the Great Reformation. And everybody stands back and says, do you guys even know what you're talking about? Because we have, we have hundreds of years um, of, of events. I mean, of course, to go to the fall of Rome, we're, we're talking about... 15, 1,600 years, and he hasn't come. So when we begin to point to things and say it's this and it's this and this, we better be so careful when we say that this is now a sign of the rapture of the church. Because if I say that COVID-19 vaccine is a sign of the rapture of the church and it is a mark of the beast, and in five years from now it doesn't happen, or let's even go out further, in 10 years from now, so it's been way more than seven, it doesn't happen you have discredited yourself to talk about things of the Word of God and things that are certain. Do you see, do you see what I'm talking about? This is why I'm so passionate about it. And, and people misunderstand me. And they're like, well, I don't know if he's really preacher or pre-mill. I guarantee you I am more preacher or pre-mill than all of you put together, okay? I am pre-trib, pre-mill. But I am so pre-trib and so pre-mill, I don't want to see people cashing it in because of us pointing to things that don't really prove that they're. And so we get this long list, and I gave you a list, but we can make it longer, right? You know, who was it? Gorbachev was supposed to be the Antichrist. I think Ronald Reagan was supposed to be the Antichrist. The Prince of Spain was supposed to be the Antichrist. Um, I don't know. All kinds of people are supposed to be the Antichrist. And, and they weren't. So what do, people, what do we do then? And I think there's such a desire to want to 
on this side of the pulpit, there's such a desire to want to get you excited for the return of the Lord that we say things that aren't really thought out very well and we respond in the moment. So for the rapture, there are no signs. Now, I do believe that there are things that we read of in the book of Revelation, these are going to happen. Read in the book of Revelation, before the establishing of the kingdom and the second coming of, or the second coming of Christ and the establishing of the kingdom, uh, we read of certain things that are going to happen, right? We know there's going to be an antichrist. We know there's going to be a temple. We know that Israel is going to be persecuted. These, these are not news clipping items, okay? These are just very simple, clear statements. There's going to be an antichrist, and he's going to tell everybody to worship him. He's going to go to the temple of Israel. He's going to begin to per persecute Israel. He's going to try and control all trade and all commerce. These are things that we know are going to happen. So I think you can begin to look and say, well, what about Israel coming back into the land? Isn't that a sign? It's not a sign of the rapture because it's a signless event. But certainly Israel must be back in the land if the Antichrist is going to persecute them in the land. So what we see is, oh, we can see things maybe getting ready to be fulfilled in the nation of Israel. Somebody asked a question um, down at the conference. What if Israel is scattered again throughout the nations? Does that mean that the Bible was wrong? And, and my response is absolutely does not mean the Bible is wrong. Um, they're going to have to come back into the land again. That's all that it means. And they've done it once. They've done it twice. They've done it three times. They can do it again. So they can come back into the land again. But at some point in time, Israel will have to be in their land for the Antichrist to persecute them and for an abomination of desolation. There has to be a temple. And so when you look at those things and you see them coming together, it's like, well, those are fulfillments for the second coming. Signs for the second coming. If there's no sign for the rapture and the rapture precedes the second coming, then wow, it should tell us to wake up and be all the more alert. But I just, I, I, I just, listen, there are those out there that saying, you know, that the vaccine is, a, if you take it, this is the mark of the beast. That is, that is just, that's terrible. That is terrible exegesis and they cannot prove it and they have no establishment for it. The mark of the beast is meant to be a sign of your worship and allegiance to the Antichrist. Who's the Antichrist in this scenario? And, and so the answer is nobody. You may have politicians and whoever you don't like, but they're not the Antichrist. One day they will come, but it's not right now. So just to to measure ourselves in our conversation. Should we, is it okay to say that the, the return of the Lord is imminent? Oh yeah, the scripture teaches us. Should we be looking for his return? Yes, maybe tonight. We should be living like that at all times, but I don't have to look at some event to say, oh, now it's coming for sure because, you know, pandemic. No, not really. And if we make, if, if we build everything uh, on the, of the rapture of the church around this pandemic season, what are our kids going to do in 15 years if Jesus hasn't come back about our belief? About the imminent return of Christ. Man, you guys don't know what you're talking about. 
And then they begin to abandon the pre-mill, pre-trib view. And that's, I think, tragic. So I know that's a lot of stuff you weren't anticipating, but there you go. That was free. And um, we're just going to keep on moving on. Let, let me get back to, you, to verse 22. It says, uh, then he said to his disciples, so interaction with the Pharisees, now Jesus is going to warn his disciples about the Antichrist. The days will come when you will desire to see uh, one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. He's kind of telling us right there, it's going to be a while before I am revealed. Um, verse 23, and they will say to you, look here, look there. Do not go after them or follow them. For as lightning flashes out of one part under heaven, uh, uh, shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. What does that mean? At nighttime, if there's lightning in the sky, can you hide it? No. I mean, when it flashes from one side to the other, everybody sees it, and what do we all say? Did you see that? Did you look at that? Look at that. Did you see that lightning flash? And, and the Lord says, I, my return is going to be so obvious. So when people begin to say, oh, he's in the secret place. He's come back here. He's hiding out in San Diego at a special little villa that was built for him. Don't believe it. And groups have said this. Dr. Charles, or Charles Feinberg states that over the course of Israel's history, since Jesus made this prophecy, he can count up to 64 in different individuals that have appeared claiming to be the Messiah. So Jesus knew what he was talking about. There was going to be a lot of people that did that. Um, verse 25. He says, but first. I think that's a, those are two important words. But first. Well, wait a minute. What are we talking about? We're talking about his second coming in verse 24. But first. Oh, so then before the second coming, he, the Son of Man, Jesus, must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And that was fulfilled as he went to the cross. So the establishing of the earthly kingdom was not going to happen until he first suffered and died. But you're going to long for me. It's going to be a while. Verse 26 through 28, um, he begins to describe some more of what it's going to be like when he is revealed. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. Son of Man is a, a title for Jesus. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage. Have you, how many of you have done that? Any one of those things? Yeah, you, you know, some of you have done all of them. And all of you have done at least a couple of them, right? So this is, he's saying it's going to be business as usual. Life is just going to be going on, just like in the days of Noah, until. It was business as usual until the day Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, so as it was also in the days of Lot. They ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted and built. Okay, I mean, they, 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 were, they went to work. They had their jobs. They worked their farms. So Jesus is saying, when I come, you're not going to be ready for me. Just like they weren't ready in Noah's generation and just like in Lot's generation, Sodom, they were not ready. So we get back to what Jesus said. It's like, you're not going to make observations. Now listen, if you, are, if you know the word of God 
and you're reading the word of God, and you're reading the book of Revelation, you know what it's, what it's going to happen before his return. I mean, we, things are laid out. But if you, can, if you don't even recognize Jesus Christ in your midst, you think you're going to pick up on the signs? You're not going to pick up on the signs. You're going to be living every day as if the next was guaranteed to come. And you're not going to have any anticipation. Verse 29 and 30. He speaks of how the kingdom will be preceded by devastating judgment. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Emphasis on that, those last four words, destroyed them all. Even so, draw an arrow back to it. Even so, it will be in that day when the Son of Man is revealed. What's he saying? You guys were asking about the kingdom? And you're looking for a militant Messiah that's going to throw off the oppression? I, let me actually tell you what's going to happen. You're gonna, there's going to be great devastation that comes and um, it's going to come upon many of the Jews will be unready for, uh, will not be ready for, for this time. The seven-year tribulation, speaking of the judgment that's going to, he's, he's saying, you know, Sodom was destroyed. Uh, they were all destroyed. What's it going to be like when the Son of Man comes? Well, I mean, in the book of Revelation, it talks about um, volcanoes erupting. It talks about the greatest earthquakes that have ever been felt on this earth. It talks about water, you know, water being polluted so that you know, fish are dying. You don't, can't find water to drink. Um, you know, hailstones weighing 100 pounds you know, coming down uh, to the earth, on, setting things on fire. That vegetation is going to be burned up. Um, that there's going to be famine, of course, if those things are going on. That there's going to be plagues, there's going to be pandemics, and also that there's going to be demonic trouble. The, the, you know, the chamber into the demonic realm is going to be open, and they're going to be roaming about on the earth. That's all going on, and then Jesus will return, and he will bring judgment upon the nations that have come to destroy. But in those seven years, so much of Israel, and they're the ones asking the question, will be lost because they will not be ready. Even as Sodom and the world of Noah's day ignored the warnings of coming judgment, so the world will ignore the warnings that Jesus has left behind, that judgment is going to be coming and to be looking for me. And so this is going to take place. I hope you're not one that is going to ignore I hope you're one that's going to be ready. I hope you're one that is going to be looking. Again, I've said this a couple of times. Um, Pre-tribulation view says that before all of that terrible description I just gave you happened, the church is going to be taken away. Why? Why, why do we teach that? Well, I'm going to give you three verses here in just a moment. Um, but God was working with the nation of Israel and gave them promises of a kingdom. He came to the earth. He offered them that kingdom. They rejected that kingdom. And he said, now these things are hidden from your eyes until. So there's a future moment when things will not be hidden from their eyes. So the great tribulation, the 70, uh, 70th week of Daniel, as it's also called, is going to be a time when God wakes up a nation and judges the nations. 
The nations are going to be judged, but he's going to wake up a nation and he's going to fulfill all of those Old Testament prophecies of them having a king that would rule over them, something that has never happened. And so in order for God to be true to his prophetic word to the prophets, there has to be another dealing with Israel. But when God was offering the kingdom to Israel, the church was not in existence. The church began after, and I would submit to you, and it's not the only reason, but I would submit to you that when God begins to work with the nation of Israel again, he will remove the church out because the way in which the nation is going to be woke, awakened is through great tribulation. But there are verses that speak of this rapture. And I'll give you three different ones that speak of, of the rapture. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 57. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That's a, a way in which New Testament writers, especially Paul, um, spoke of a Christian who dies, that they, they were asleep. So it says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible, this body that dies, must put on incorruption, a body that doesn't die. And this mortal must put on immortality. So when the corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's going to be a moment, it's going to come quick, and there'll be a transformation that takes place in your physical body, there will be a generation of the church that's alive when this takes place. First Timothy, uh, Thessalonians 4, verses 15 through 18. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. So there will be a generation that's alive, and there will be the generations of the church that have fallen asleep. They're going to have their bodies transformed first. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So we're going to be caught up. We're going to be raptured. You know, sometimes people say, well, we, you know, the word rapture is not even in the Bible. Which Bible? Which Bible are you talking about? Your English Bible? Is that the only Bible in the world? Is, that the, is English the only language in which we could possibly read the Bible? Are there other languages, like maybe Latin, for instance? And this is where we get the word rapture from, is rapturo. So when people say it's not even in the Bible, they're wrong. It is in the Bible, just not the English Bible. <laughs> We've got to be so careful. Is the word Trinity in the Bible? And yet we've, we believe that. And we're not going to throw out the doctrine of Trinity because it's not in, that word's not in the Bible. If the elements and the doctrine is there and we put a label on it to identify it, then that's, that's how we, we get some of these words. So it's a biblical teaching, both the Trinity and the rapture. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 10. This is the most important one of the three that I'm going to read here tonight. 
He says, but concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. And I'll just say this quickly, and you can search it out. Times and seasons, I will submit to you as a technical phrase for the kingdom of God that, God, that he's going to establish upon the earth, the thousand-year reign. And you can, look, you can cross-reference in the early chapters of Acts, Acts chapter 1. And so to the church, a Gentile church, they didn't need to know about this. They didn't need to know the times and seasons because they weren't going to go through that. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. You're not going to see the kingdom coming. Right? This is what Jesus said. And, and so he's talking about the, the great tribulation. As labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, they shall not escape. But you, verse 4. You're, but you. The, this is going to come upon them. The question about the times and the seasons, I don't need to write to you about it. Because, but, you know, hey, they're going to have things happen to them. But you, brethren, you're not in darkness so that this day, the day of the Lord, a day of judgment, should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as the others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, so day in the sense of light, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Here it is, verse 9. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we shall live together. The great tribulation is a time in which God pours out his wrath. We are not appointed to wrath. Doesn't mean we can't have tribulation, small t, right? Uh, I'm sure many of you could testify of tribulation that you've had. It doesn't mean that, uh, that America can't. And I, here's something else I think we make a mistake. Well, we believe in the rapture. Therefore, America can't go through persecution. No, 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 no. That's a, that's a nice thought, and I hope you're right. However, America could go through persecution. There's no, nowhere in the Bible where it says America will not, you know, suffer persecution. It says that the church will not go through the great tribulation. So that's another, I think, thing we pick up that's incorrect. But God did not appoint us to wrath. So you, the wrath is going to be poured out upon the nations and it's going to wake up a nation. But we're not appointed for that. Jesus gave two examples. He gave an example of Sodom or we'll say of Lot and his family. And what had to happen before God could destroy Sodom? Lot had to get out. God would not destroy them. Um, was long, destroy uh, Sodom as long as they're there. And in the days of Noah, there was a, a divine protection on the wrath that was poured out upon the world with Noah and his sons. In like manner, before God pours out his wrath upon this world in the great tribulation, the Lord is going to take those who he's redeemed, his church, because we are not appointed to wrath. So here are some of the reasons why I believe in the great, uh, I believe that, you know, in a pre-trib view. Let's wrap this up. Verse 31 through 33. In that day, he who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Not a whole lot in that verse, is there? 
don't look back. You just, you got to flee. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. So he says, when, when this judgment that I'm talking about, you know, comes, and you see it happening, you just, you better run. In all of a discourse, he's going to tell them to flee to the wilderness. Verse 34 through 37. Now I tell you, in that night, so we've been talking about judgment, right? We've been talking about the judgment at Sodom. We've been talking about the judgment in the days of Noah. We're talking about the judgment that's going to come, verses 31 through 33, before the establishing the revelation of the, of the, of the Lord's kingdom. All of this is about judgment. Verse 34, that's our context. I tell you, in that night there will be two men in one bed. One will be taken and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding together. The one will be taken and the other left. Two men will be in the field. The one will be taken and the other left. And they answered and said to him, Where, Lord? So he said to them, Wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. That doesn't sound like a good place to go. Wherever the body is, where the eagles are gathering. What is going to be happening in the great tribulation? There's going to be all kinds of bloodshed. The battle of Armageddon, so many are going to be slaughtered. And I believe Jesus is talking not about the rapture here in verses 34 through 37. If you're talking about the rapture, you've got to be talking about the church. The church is not in focus. You cannot find the church in this context. I challenge you to find the church. So we, though, I mean, we, we have songs that have been written. We have movies that have been made. And they've used these verses to refer to the rapture. I, and, you know, I know many of you, I, my, my dad disagrees with me so fiercely about this. And, um, you know, he's pre-trib and he's, no, this is the rapture. And I just, so, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a detail. This is not the rapture. You know, where you find eagles and vultures and a body, that doesn't sound like heaven to me. I don't know. Does that, is that the way you're picturing heaven? Is body with eagles circling above head? That doesn't sound like a good place to go. So those that are, that are left will be those that are going into the kingdom that he's been talking about. And those that are taken away are the ones that will be taking to, taken to a judgment that will happen at the end of the seven-year tribulation. And I will read to you two more verses and we will be done. Joel chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 are two more passages. It says, For behold, in those days, the days we're talking about, and at that time, when I bring back the captives of Judah and Israel, Jerusalem, so I've saved them, I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, just outside of the city walls of Jerusalem. And I will enter into judgment with them there, on account of my people, my heritage Israel, whom they've scattered among the nations, they also have divided up my land. So they're going to be taken to judgment. I believe the judgment they're going to be taken to is the one in the valley of Jehoshaphat for the way they've, those that are alive, some will have treated Israel well. They've given them a cup of cold water in the name of the Lord, and others have harassed them. And these are going to be taken to judgment. And then one more passage Matthew 25, and this isn't going to fit on the screen, it's a section, verses 31 through, um, actually, not 42, down to verse 46. 
Again, they're taken to judgment. That's my point. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous that are being judged, right? You got the, the sheep and the goats. The sheep are going to say, um, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did, you see, uh, when did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick? Or in prison and come to you. And the king, Jesus, will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, his countrymen, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left, the goats, don't want to be a goat, nope, right? You know the song. Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick in, in prison, you did not visit me. Verse 44, then they will also answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, Surely I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the, to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. You have two, you have two groups. One's going to be taken into the kingdom, which will be for a thousand years. And those that have made it through the great tribulation, they've survived the demons. They've survived the plagues. They've survived the volcanoes and the earthquakes and the wars and everything else. But yet they harassed Israel. Those will be taken into judgment. And I believe this is what Jesus is referring to when he says there'll be two, uh, you know, in the bed, there'll be two grinding, there'll be two out in the field. Well, some are going to be taken into the kingdom, are going to be, you know, able to remain and come into the kingdom. Others are going to be taken to judgment. And so Jesus, you know, answers them and tells them, you want to know about the kingdom? I'm right here in front of you. And you can't, you're not going to get it. You're not going to observe. You can't, you can't figure out the kingdom by looking for it. When I'm standing right in front of you and you are wanting to kill me. And I believe that's a true principle that goes down to this very hour. You know, an unbeliever who wants nothing to do with Jesus but says, well, tell me what I should expect. You could tell them, you could give them the book of Revelation and they still won't get it. They will not be, because if they can't see Jesus, they're not going to see the coming of this kingdom. It's a blindness. It's a spiritual blindness. It's not just the inability to logically process thoughts of future events. That's easy. This is spiritual. And they spiritually will um, not be able to do that. So we need to be ready. We need to be ready um, for... The rapture of the church, the church will not go through this time frame that Jesus was talking about, and that can happen at any moment. It is imminent. 
It is imminent. It's like, well, I don't know. I still think that tribulation is going to happen at the end. It's one and the same with the second coming. All right. Here's Troy's cheap shot to a post-tribulation view. It's a cheap shot. I, I, I'm just going to announce it ahead of time. So then you're looking for the Antichrist before you look for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ comes back at the end of the tribulation. What happens in the middle of the tribulation? The Antichrist reveals himself. You cannot see, if you believe in the post-tribulation view, you cannot expect to see Jesus until you first see the Antichrist. So then it's not imminent, is it? Meaning it can't happen right now. If you hold to a post-tribulation view, you cannot see Jesus return right now. It's going to be at least seven years from today. You cannot say that he's about to come back. you got to see the Antichrist come first. Now you can count three and a half years, and then he'll show up. So again, the pre-tribulation view is the only view that allows for an any-moment return of Jesus. The other views do not. Those that hold those other views, maybe you do. I love you. I like you. It's okay. I don't want to fight with you over it. This is, uh, you know, this is the beliefs that we have here. This is what I believe the scriptures teach. And I just would say to you, you will never be so happy to be wrong. <laughs> On the way up, you're going to be like, man, I'm glad I was wrong. And, um, you know, if you're confused, somebody will explain it on the web. Oh, this is pre-trib, not post-trib. Just like it says, not appointed to wrath. Don't worry about it. God always takes his people out before judgment comes. We're good. And so um, this is the great hope that we have, which should cause us to live like he can come back. Ah, let's not. Let's not get caught up in all this, you know, this thing happening, that thing happening. There's a few things I think you can look at. Read the book of Revelation. Read the Olivet Discourse. And you can see the kinds of things that are going to happen during this, before the second coming. Those are the things. Israel's got to be in the land. Israel's got to have a temple. Um, there's going to be an Antichrist. He's going to control the world. Those are the types of things. COVID-19 vaccine, love it, hate it. Um, I don't care, but it's not the mark of the beast. Not the mark of the beast. There is no beast. Father, thank you for your word. You've spoken to us, your servants, your sons, your daughters, because you want us to know what's going to happen. You speak to your servants, and you tell us about things to come. And Lord, you didn't give us a whole book, Revelation, and many other sections of Scripture about the end times events. You didn't make a revelation to hide things. You made a revelation to unveil things. And we are grateful, Lord. And where our eyes are set, and we are looking for your coming, Lord. And we will say as John, even so, Lord, come quickly. Lord, but in the meantime, until you return, at a time that we don't know, Lord, we ask that our hearts would be ready, they would be soft, they would be looking up, they would be in, in anticipation of you.